The following message was recorded at Christ Church in Bartlett, Tennessee. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.ccbartlett.com. All right, well, uh, this is the last Sunday before Christmas. Uh, I hope that you have calendars and you recognize that. Um, And so this is our fourth week of Advent, and the way we're recognizing it this week is we're recognizing joy this week, and so we've lit our our fourth candle, and and I trust you'll do the same. And and when we talk about joy, I I think that... um, Maybe we've, maybe we've monopolized it as, as churches. You know, maybe we've said that we have the, the, the market cornered on joy. But let me give you a definition of joy. It's the emotion evoked by well-being, success, or good fortune, or by the prospect of possessing what one desires. Or another simple one-word definition would be delight. And this is not a purely Christian idea. Joy is not a purely Christian idea. In fact, I, I kind of I want to show you a video I, I, I've seen. Uh, I saw this past Past week, um, this is a uh, a Norwegian explorer. Oh, hold up, hold up, hold up! Getting excited, getting excited. I understand. Uh, so anyway, um, go yeah, go back, go, go back, go to something else. Click on it. There we go. Okay, let me give you the the picture because he's speaking whatever Norwegians speak, which I, it's not English, so I don't know what it is. All right, but it's his 86th day on a three month expedition through the South Pole before he left. Uh, to keep his gear light, uh, he'd store different caches of, of equipment along his, his path. And he's come across, what you're going to see is he's found his last cache. Now, it's been three months since he buried it. He doesn't remember what's in it, but he's starving. Uh, he's lost 55 pounds uh, at this point in three months. So if you're like, man, I, gotta, I, I really would like to lose weight in 2013, go to the South Pole and hike it for three months, all right? You, it's a, it worked. Uh, so anyway... He is opening his pack and he's rifling through it and he's about to find food and he's starving and, and uh, you can't understand what he's saying but you don't have to. Check out his reaction here. Those are cheese doodles, by the way. Now listen to an interview and he says at this point he stops because he he thinks maybe this isn't real. And so he runs over to make sure that they're real. more time you need to look this video up uh he continues to find food in his pack he finds a chocolate bar here in a second here we'll watch it it's just a few more seconds and he loses his mind so happy to see a Snickers bar. I, I, don't, I don't get that excited. I heard him give an interview about this and he said that it, it literally, the only way he could describe it was joy. 
He said it was a perfect moment. That's how he described it. It was a perfect moment of joy. Three months of starving, finding cheese doodles uh, and all kinds of other food. And here's the reality though. When he talks about it, I know that joy didn't last because he wasn't still screaming. When they asked him about the cheese doodles, he didn't say, oh, we're doing fine. We bought a condo together, right? Like it faded. He ate the doodles. He's not hungry anymore. The doodles are gone, all right? And so it's not lasting. And there are, there are joys at Christmas that we feel that, that are fleeting. Uh, maybe it's that present that you've dropped hints about since June that you finally get, right? And and then it's not everything it was cracked up to be. I remember we had a cat one time. I don't know if it was for Christmas or not. We got her, but her name was KC, and uh, uh, I loved KC until I feel uh, until I re- until I realized that KC's favorite thing to do was to climb under my bed sheets at night and claw at my toes while I slept. That cat quickly became uh, well. I don't know what happened to her. That that cat went outside. All right, like, and I don't know what the world did to KC, but I pray it's not kind. Uh, also, maybe. Uh Maybe you moved away from home, maybe you came back to visit at Christmas and there's true joy, a deep, a deep delight in seeing your family and, and then like maybe day two you remember why you moved away in the first place, right? So Christmas joys, sometimes they're fleeting and so the reality is joy is only as deep as its object. And so what's the object of joy at Christmas? Would you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. And you say, Grant, you could just put it up on the screen. I don't do that. Let me tell you real quick why I don't do that. I don't do that because I want you to be comfortable with your Bible. I, I understand that when we look at it, it's a, it looks just daunting and just unmanageable. And that's just not true. And so I, I hope that as you turn with us on Sundays and get more used to your Bible and just get comfortable with it, that that, that comfort will, will get into the, the rest of your life throughout the week. So, um, so, so do that. Turn to Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 10. An angel said to them, so it's the angel appearing to the shepherds, right? An angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, okay? So there's the great joy right there. So good news of great joy. So the great joy is found where? In the good news. What is the good news? Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So the news is that Christ the Lord has come. That, that, that thing that you've been waiting for, Isaiah chapter 9. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That Christ has come. The good news is the Savior is here. He's come to make peace between you and God. And He's come to secure that peace in himself. Now that is joy. That's where joy comes from. From that news about who Christ is, why he's come, who he is for us, uh, who, what he's done for us and in us and through us. And that joy is a great joy. Look at how it's described there. I bring you good news of what? Of great joy. And that great is a fullness. That's the fullest joy you can feel. This is, this is a joy that's completely different than anything else you will ever experience. There's no cheese doodle that's going to give you this kind of great joy, all right? And so what I want us to spend our time together doing is talking about this great joy, unpacking this great joy as we see it here in the Christmas story. And so I've made six observations about this great joy that we're going to look at this morning. The first one, great joy is available for all. Look at back there at verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. That will be for all the people. Now, the shepherds were the one giving this message first, all right? 
And you say, well, didn't Mary and Joseph know what was up? Yeah, I mean outside of them, all right? They were the ones given this message of great joy first. And they weren't the cream of the crop, all right? When, when you tell people, hey, look, I'm a shepherd, it, you weren't always received well, right? These were dirty, uneducated men, right? And not only that, some people saw them as thieves because they saw them as people who had let their animals graze on other people's land. And so they saw them as, as thieves. And, and it's kind of interesting that God chose to give his great joy to, to them, to the shepherds. When uh, Princess Kate was, became pregnant, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, I don't know, uh, I wasn't there when she, she told the royal family, but I'm pretty sure her first call wasn't to a parolee. Like, hey, listen, it's me, Princess Kate. I'm pregnant. I just wanted you to know. Thought, thought you should know. Why don't you tell your friends, right? And then when they wanted to get the news out, uh, they didn't call the National Enquirer. Hey, listen, this is Princess Kate. I want you to be the first to know, all right? I trust you. You're a good, reputable news source. No, what happened? From the palace, they had an official press release to news organizations they trusted and thought were worthy of this news. Why? Because the prince or princess, whatever it turns out to be, or maybe maybe both, right? Twins happen. I've seen it before. Uh, so maybe, maybe whatever, he or she, they deserve the honor, right? The palace says that they deserve the honor, that their birth would be treated in this way. That, you know what? When they're in this life, they're going to be treated in that way. They're going to be um, exalted as royalty, and they're going to be given the honor of royalty. And so we're going to give them that honor, even in the announcement of their birth. But what God does with his son, the king of kings, he says, yeah, those stinky, smelly shepherds out there uh, sitting out there in the middle of the field, those are my boys right there. That's who I'm talking to. That's who I'm going to give this news to. Why? Why them, Jesus? Why, why, why the announcement of your birth, would you give it to them? Because the announcement, this great joy, is for people just like them. Why does Jesus, we looked at it last week, why does his lineage look like a who's who of the best and the brightest mixed in with dropouts and losers? Why? Because this great joy is for all types of people. One of the greatest lies of the enemy is that this great joy of knowing the Lord and being known by him is exclusive to a certain type of person. Here in the first century, the Jews would would go around saying that it's our right. Okay, we are the chosen ones. It's our right. All right, Gentiles, I'm sorry. Good, better luck next time. All right, this is all. This is us. You have to be like us. You have to be uh, circumcised like us. You have to follow our rituals. You have to dress like us, look like us. The reality is that the church here in America, we do the same thing. We we put that same attitude on people. If you don't look like us, talk like us dress like us, if you don't sound like us, if you don't sing like us, then maybe you're not going to experience great joy. We say stupid things in churches. We say things like, oh, well, love the sin and uh, love the sinner and hate the sin. Really? We're going to say that right there? I'm going to love the sinner and hate the sin? What you're saying is that, you know what, although you are sinful and broken, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm not going to love the things you do. Instead, maybe we should say things like, I'm going to love you in spite of me. I'm going to love you and I'm going to hate my sin, right? Because we put out this attitude to people that if they aren't like us, then they're not going to be able to get on the inside track to this great joy. We know the secret. You've got to shake our hand our way. You've got to give us the code or you're not going to get to this joy. And so people in our culture feel like shepherds. 
And they feel like, I don't fit in there. I don't belong there, right? I don't know a lot about the Bible. My life's not all put together, okay? I didn't vote the way that you think I should vote, right? Like, I don't look like you. I I don't want to go eat the same things you eat. I don't even like that restaurant, all right? I don't fit in. So I guess that joy is not for me. And what Jesus is saying about his announcements, he's saying, hey, shepherds, I came for you. I have great joy for you. And so in the same way, what the Lord Jesus is saying to us is, hey, divorcee, I have great joy for you. Hey, alcoholic, I have great joy for you. Hey, you self-righteous punk. He's talking to me on that one. I have great joy for you. Hey, you dealing with body image problems. I have great joy for you. Hey, you confused about this whole God thing? Maybe you're doubting the words that are coming out of my mouth right now. I have great joy for you. You who says, I will never get it all together. My family's never going to accept me. I have great joy for you. You who says, I think I have it all together. Even you, I have great joy for you. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for what? For all the people. Great joy is not available for all, but it's also unchanged. When Angela was pregnant with Max, um, it was our, our first pregnancy, and and uh, and so right, okay, uh, it was our first pregnancy, and uh, and she had everything planned out, right? Like she had her overnight bag, and 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 we were making our 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 text message list to make sure that the people who needed to get texts got texts and things like that. So if you didn't, well, we just says something about our friendship. But anyway, the, uh, she had everything planned out. And, and even with the twins, it went a step further. Like she had a, a, is it called a birthing gown? Like a nice little, it sounds gross, but it's not. Uh, it's a, a nice little gown that she wore in the hospital after the birth. So when people came to see her, you know, like uh, she, she's trying to act like she didn't just have two human beings pulled out of her. And so anyway, like she had her makeup already and all these things. Everything was planned down to a T. For Angela, and, and that's how most moms will be, right? It's a big deal having a baby, and and the way you do it, it's a big deal, and the way that you tell people is a big deal, and and so you get it planned, and and not that this happened with my wife, but when those plans get messed up, some frustration ensues. All right, now. I wish I had stories for you. I don't, because my wife's perfect and amazing. Christmas is in two days. So anyway, like I don't have, I don't know, I don't know what that's like, but I can imagine that some frustration could ensue if those plans get messed up. Like, for example, you go in for a checkup and the doctor comes in and says, we're having those twins now. Like, maybe in that moment, there might be a little bit of, this isn't my plan, right? That didn't have, not us. But anyway, like, maybe there's some frustration. And I can't imagine that when Mary found out she was pregnant with the Savior of the world, that's probably a little bit different. I still imagine that she's a normal girl. And she had a normal pregnancy and she imagined uh, giving birth to that child on her terms and the way she wanted it done. And then when they, they find out that they've got to go to this inn and they've got to go to a stinking barn and, hey Joseph, by the way, real quick, uh, real nice barn, thanks for getting us this, uh, my water broke. Okay, so this is happening now. I'm sure that that would be a moment of frustration, however... Her great joy was unchanged. And let me tell you why I think that. Number one, we have no indication scripturally of her having a doubting spirit in that moment. 
like uh, that, that she was doubting that this wasn't part of God's plan. And you say, well, so what? That doesn't mean it didn't happen. Well, just in the preceding chapter, we have, we have the story of Zechariah doubting what God was going to do by giving his wife a, a son uh, at, her, at her age. And so we have an indication, just a chapter preceding, that he was doubting uh, the Lord. And that's, that's recorded and that's significant. We don't have that of Mary. Secondly, in Luke chapter 2, look at verse 18. And all who heard it, that's when the, uh, the, the shepherds are telling them about what's happening. About the angels and, and about what they said about the Lord. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. So people are hearing what they're saying and they're going, I don't get this. This is kind of strange. Uh, what could this mean? Is, are the, are, have the shepherds been out in the field too long? Like what, what in the world's going on? But Mary treasured these words. She was trusting the Lord and what he was doing. And so her great joy was unchanged by circumstances. And Paul gives us the same imperative. That no matter what's going on, our great joy is to be unchanged. He says in Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. Delight. Gladden yourself. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say, rejoice. Paul is saying, no matter what's going on around you, no matter the circumstances, you rejoice in the Lord. Now, think of who wrote this Paul. Now, when he wrote this, he wrote this pretty late in his life. Was he thinking at all about his history? Did it all, did he think like, okay, rejoice always. Remember that time I was beaten so badly, the only reason they stopped hitting me was because they thought I was dead? Rejoice in that circumstance. Okay, what about when I was shipwrecked? Uh, what about when I was bitten by snakes? What about when I was starving? What about when my family and friends disowned me? What about when my, my health began to fail? And as he's writing this, do you understand this? As he's writing this, he's in a jail cell. He has no idea how this is going to end. And he's saying, rejoice always. How can he tell us that? How can he demand that? Doesn't he know what I deal with? Doesn't he know what my family's like? Doesn't he know what my work is like? Doesn't he know what, my, what goes on in my mind and in my heart? How in the world can he have the audacity to tell me to rejoice always? Here's why. Because no matter the circumstance, the object of your great joy is unchanged. No matter the circumstance, the Lord is in control. No matter the circumstance, the Lord is still our advocate to the Father. No matter the circumstance, the Lord is still just. No matter the circumstance, the Lord is still your sympathetic high priest with grace and mercy waiting to help you in your time of need. So when your finances are lacking, it's kind of an appropriate time facing the fiscal cliff, whatever that is. When my finances are lacking, I will rejoice in the Lord, my provider. When my sin is overwhelming, I will rejoice in the Lord, my righteousness. When my heart is broken, I'll rejoice in the Lord, my healer. When I feel alone, I'll rejoice in the Lord, my friend. When the world is falling apart around me, I will rejoice in the Lord, my sovereign king. My joy is unchanged. It's the third thing about great joy. Great joy comes from unexpected places. If you look in Jesus' lineage, one of the names that will pop out to you is King David. And, and as you think about King David, how did he become king? Uh, uh, the, the Israelites had said, hey, look, I know we've got God as our leader and all that, but we want an earthly king. We want a manly king. We want to be able to say, hey, that's my dude right there. And, and the Lord gave them exactly what they wanted, which is a lesson to all of us to be careful about what we ask the Lord for. And the Lord gave them what they wanted and Saul, of course, failed. And Saul turned from the Lord. And so, so God goes to, to Samuel, who, who um, that's uh, our son's middle name, named after Samuel here. The Lord sends Samuel to Bethlehem 
Sounded familiar? To anoint a new king. Uh, one that will honor him, direct his people back to him. So he goes to the house of Jesse and he says, bring me your boys, bring me your sons. The Lord's going to pick a king out of these. So he brings him his seven sons, right? And one by one, the sons go in, the oldest, the biggest, the most handsome, the one you would think, this is our king. And the Lord says to Samuel, nope, next, nope, next, nope, next. Goes through all seven, nope. And he says, uh, Jesse, I... I'm, the Lord told me to anoint a king here. He's saying no to all these. You got any more kids? I, I, I got the runt. <laughs> I got David, but we stuck him out there with the sheep. It kind of smells like him. So we, we put him out there. He's with the sheep. And so he says, bring me David. And so David comes and, and the Lord finds favor on David. And, and so he anoints him, this little shepherd boy, as the future king of Israel. 1,000 years later in Bethlehem, the shepherds are told that the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace, the mighty God, the everlasting father, Emmanuel, the one whom the government shall rest upon his shoulders and his kingdom will have no end, you'll find him over there in a barn, in a feeding trough, wrapped in rags. Truly unexpected, right? Both of those situations, truly unexpected. The world would have chosen David's oldest brother, the most handsome brother, the biggest brother, that one. He can wear the king's armor. He can defend us, right? The world would have looked for the Messiah in a palace, not a barn. God's ways are, in a way to describe them, simply unexpected. They're unexpected. And in the same way, the world looks for great joy in the wrong places. And the, and the Lord's great joy is found in things that might be unexpected in our world. Would you look at Luke chapter 1, beginning of verse 46. I want us to look at Mary's song. Mary, Mary um, sings a song to the Lord here. And there's a couple of things I want to point out here about how our joy is found in some unexpected places in our world. And Mary said... My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. Exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he sent away empty. He's helped to serve in Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Look at verse 51 there in 52. It says that he's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud. He's brought down the mighty. Exalted the humble. So what he's saying is that do you want true power? Then seek humility. It's a little unexpected in our world, right? And what's the result? God will draw near to the humble, but he'll resist the proud. Something else unexpected. Look at verse 53. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. Do you want true and lasting wealth? Then don't hunger or be driven for money, but be driven and hunger after God. This joy is found in unexpected places. The only way you'll find that great joy is to look for it in His wisdom, which is not found in our world. I talked with someone um, just a couple of days ago. I hadn't seen this person in over a year. Um, and they were talking to me about some things going on in their life and some mistakes they had made in some relationships. Um, and this person had... Um, they haven't been in, 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 the, in the word, uh, seeking the wisdom of the Lord um, in a very long time. Maybe years, maybe not ever. And so they, we've already talked about that. And, and he's telling me about these mistakes he's made in this relationship and how he's hurt this person and hurt this person. And, 
And he said, you know, I can't believe I did these things. And I said, I can't believe it took you that long to do those things. I can't believe you didn't mess it up quicker. Bravo, dude. You made it three months before you hurt everybody around you, right? And he was looking at me real weird. And I said, look, man, you haven't been seeking the wisdom of God. So what wisdom do you have? You have what the world offers. And the Bible's pretty clear about that wisdom. It's foolishness. It's not wisdom. And the Bible's pretty clear about what foolishness does. It destroys. It destroys everything around it. Relationships, ourselves. And that's not wisdom. That's foolishness. And wisdom leads to joy, but foolishness leads to despair. And so I told him, I said, do you want great joy? Then look for it in the wisdom of God. I know that's unexpected. I know he's, he's thinking, well, I'm going to go talk to some friends who know more about relationships than I do. I'm going to go talk to my pastor. He's married. He knows what's going on, right? I'm going to go talk to him. There's, there's, I'm going to find wisdom in places that it makes sense. But you want me to stop? You want me to go and, and read the word? of? You want me to stop and read this book? It seems a little unexpected that I'm going to find true wisdom there. But if you're looking for great joy, you need to look where the world doesn't look. You need to look at, to the way that Jesus does things. Jesus even says this about his own guidance and teachings in John chapter 15, 11. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you. That's the great joy we're talking about. And that your joy may be what? Full. Or that your joy may be what? Great. Great joy comes from unexpected places in our world. The fourth thing. Great joy strengthens us to please God. It isn't always easy to do the right thing. How many in here are teachers? How many in here are teachers? Teachers, teachers, thank you. All the students raise their hand. At least they're awake, all right? They might be sarcastic, but they're awake. All right. Uh, anyone in here ever taught um, kindergarten? Kindergarten, yes. Play, thank you. Praise God for you. Thank you, thank you. Relax. Uh, in kindergarten, you know that it's, a, it's difficult at times, all right? They're, they're not the easiest ones um, to mm, instruct, let's say. I heard a story about a, uh, a, a kindergarten teacher who was helping, um, their, the, it was snowing outside and was, was helping this little boy put his snow boots on and, and she was struggling with all her might to get them on and, and just put the right one on. It took forever. Put the left one on. It took forever. And finally, the little boy looked down and said, teacher... They're on the wrong foot. And so she, oh my gosh, she looks down, of course. And of course he didn't say anything until they were on. So she struggles to pull them off, right? And then switches feet and, and puts them on back again. And, and just struggling and just sweating the whole time. And she said, teacher, these aren't my boots. So she pulls them back off and said, why didn't you say something before? And so pulls them, them back off. And she says, well, where are your boots? And he said, they're at home. These are my brothers. My mom made me wear these today. So she puts them back on just one foot at a time again, trying to remember why she's a teacher and putting these back on and finally gets them back on his feet and says, okay, okay, now wear your mittens. He said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. So it's, it's not always easy to do the right thing and even just to do the things that we know we should do are difficult. I'm going to, here's confession time. It's difficult for me to apologize to my wife, whom I love more than anyone in this world, when I'm wrong. That's difficult for me. It's difficult for me to pray regularly for people I care the most about. It's difficult for me. 
It's difficult for me to spend adequate time in the, in the Word of God. These are things that I do, but they're difficult. In Romans, Paul says in chapter 7 that he describes it as there's a war between my body and my mind, between my will and what I do. And God calls us to honor Him in everything that we do, whether we eat or, or drink or whatever we do, we're to honor Him no matter the difficulty. And we see an example of this in Matthew chapter 2. The wise men are faced with a dilemma. They follow a star. If you remember the story, they follow a star and they get to King Herod. And they say, King Herod, we're looking for this, this king. It's the king of the Jews is, is born. We're following this star. Do you know where he is? We, we need to get to Bethlehem, wherever he is. And the king says, yeah, yeah, you go on ahead and you find him. And, and then you come tell me so that I can come worship him too. And of course, the whole time, Herod's thinking in his head, you come tell me where he is, and then I'll come kill him, right? And so the, the wise men go, and they, and they worship the, the Lord Jesus, and then it's revealed to them in a dream what Herod plans to do, and so they choose to defy the king and to go home another way. Couldn't Herod find them? Absolutely he could. Wouldn't he rip them from limb to limb if he found them? Absolutely he would. Why defy the king? Because the great joy of knowing who the Messiah is, that he's the king of kings, the great joy of knowing that he's the one worthy of their devotion and worship, that great joy, that reality strengthened them to do the hard things, to do what was difficult, to be obedient when it wasn't easy. And the reality is that because of the great joy of Emmanuel, God with us, because Christ is with me, because God is with us, because he lives in me, he's given me his spirit as his follower I can do difficult things I can be obedient to him even when everything in me doesn't want to why because Emmanuel's with me because God is with me that great joy of knowing that he's with me he wants to help me I can do the difficult things I can honor him I can be obedient it's it's this alcoholism might have you beaten but remember your joy. Remember that God is with you. And remember it doesn't have him beaten. He can beat it. Anger may have you beaten. But remember that your joy. Remember that the Christ is with you. He will help you. He lives in you. Emmanuel God with us. Remember that it hasn't beaten him. You might have relationship issues. And you can't fix them. It's beyond repair. But remember this. Remember your joy. Remember Emmanuel. He can bring healing. You can't. Maybe your lust has overwhelmed you. Remember your joy. Emmanuel isn't overwhelmed and he can help you. You can please God as you remember your great joy that Emmanuel is with us. Isaiah 41, 13, For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand and it is I who say to you, Fear not, I am the one who helps you. Our great joy, God with us, strengthens us to please God. Fifthly, our great joy overflows in worship. I read a definition of worship last week. I want to repeat it to you. We're going to put it up on the screen. You can follow along. James Packer defines worship in this way. To worship God is to recognize his worth or worthiness, to look Godward and to acknowledge in all appropriate ways, in all appropriate ways, the value of what we see. The Bible calls this activity glorifying God or giving glory to God and views it as the ultimate end and from one point of view, the whole duty of man. Look at what it says there. All appropriate ways. So the implication is that worship is a large concept. And Packer goes on to define that larger context of worship. Let me read you the rest of the quote. Scripture views 
The glorifying of God is a six-fold activity. Praising God for all that He is and all His achievements. Thanking Him for His gifts and His goodness to us. Asking Him to meet our own and others' needs. Offering Him our gifts, our service, and ourselves. Learning of Him from His word, read and preached. And obeying His voice. Telling others of His worth, both by public confession and testimony to what He has done for us. So we should be looking for and recognizing His worth in all good things. And respond appropriately in worship. So when you're with your family opening gifts, a prayer of thanksgiving might be proper worship. When you're at the dinner table, a word of praise to God for that moment might be appropriate worship. When you wake up for another day, a moment to open His Word and seek the one who gifted you that day is an appropriate expression of worship. When you're overwhelmed at His goodness, a song is an appropriate expression of worship. We see this in Luke and we see this in the account. We see the great joy of Mary, Zechariah, and Simeon. They were led to sing. That was their appropriate response to what God had done in their lives was to sing. We see the great joy of the shepherds spilling over in worship and their conversations with everyone they meet after they see Jesus. They can't help but talk about who he is and what he's done. We see the great joy of the wise men that led them to overflow in worship and be obedient to what God was calling them to do even though it might cost them their life. The point is this. Great joy should overflow into our lives. I had an old um, college buddy call me last night. I haven't spoken to him in, in years. Um, and he called me last night to talk about something going on in his family, something his sister's dealing with. And he starts to describe the situation. And she's um, made some decisions and, and that, that have hurt their family and ultimately aren't honoring to the Lord. And, and so he's talking to me about all this. And I stopped and I said, hang on, hang on. Is she a believer? And he said, I, I don't know. I mean, she grew up the same way I did, but... You know, whenever I try to bring up Jesus, um, she gets upset and she doesn't want to talk about it. Whenever we try to talk about the Lord, she gets upset and doesn't want to talk about it. And I told him, I said, well, that doesn't, that gives you an indication, but it's probably not an indication you want to have. And he said, why do you say that? And I said, well, you want to talk about my wife? Anyone. I don't care what time it is. You want to, you want to, sit, you want to come to me and talk about my wife and tell me how great she is? I'll join in on that one. So in a moment, you're going to catch me saying, would you shut up? Like, I am tired of hearing about... No, I love my wife. And my joy in the relationship that we have overflows in my relationships with others. You give me an opportunity to brag on my wife, uh, let's go, all right? You, we will, it, it's a lock-in, all-nighter, all right? I'll talk about that. Why? Because it overflows in my life. You give me an opportunity to talk about my Jesus, my great joy in Him should be kindled by that conversation. And it should be set ablaze by being around others who care about him like I care about him. And my joy should overflow. You give me an opportunity to talk about my Jesus, I should talk about my Jesus. You give me an opportunity to, to, to worship my Jesus, I should worship my Jesus. My great joy should overflow in my life through worship. And lastly, great joy is a choice. Great joy is a choice. Ravi Zacharias was talking to a woman whose husband took his own life and she came to a conference and uh, wanted to meet with him and told him this story. And he responded to her at the end of the story with this quote, despair for millions of people is not a moment, it's a way of life. Joy for many Christians is not a momentary lapse into fantasy, but a posture by which he or she faces all of existence. 
Let me say that again. I had to rewind it and listen to it multiple times. Despair for millions of people is not a moment. It's a way of life. Joy for many Christians is not a momentary lapse into fantasy, but a posture by which he or she faces all of existence. Great joy is a choice. It's a choice that in a moment of calm in life to look to Christ as the author of that moment. It's a choice in a moment of calamity to look to Christ as the redeemer of that moment. It's a choice. Great joy is a choice to trust and have that great joy. It's a choice to reject and have great despair. The shepherds had a choice to believe the angels. The shepherds had a choice to say, okay, that's true. Now let's follow up on that. The shepherds had a choice that once they went and saw this baby in a, in a food trough in this nasty smelly barn that wrapped in rags to pick him up and say this is the promised one. They had a choice to trust and it resulted in great joy. Herod had a choice to believe that Jesus, this, this baby born to them, was the true king, not himself. And he had a choice to believe that and to receive that and to have great joy. But he made a choice to reject that, to push away from that, to turn in on himself. And it resulted in great despair. It's a choice to look at Christ this season and to have great joy. And it's a choice to look at ourselves and have despair. So what will you choose this Christmas season? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time that you've given us together. Um, I thank you that your great joy is available for all people, no matter who we are, where we came from, what we look like, what we sound like, what our preferences are. But that great joy is available. But God, I pray that the truth that that great joy is a choice. It's not mystical. It's not magical. It's not something that just some people just have and some people just don't. But that it's something that we can actively pursue. That's, that's an amazing gift. And I pray that, that some people might realize that for the first time today. Lord Jesus, if there are people in this room who don't know you, Lord, they don't have great joy. And they've, they've never trusted you. They've never let you be the Lord of their life. They've never said, I'm not going to live my way anymore. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm not going to find wisdom in the world anymore and do it the way the world tells me. I'm going to look in the word and I'm going to do what the Lord Jesus tells me. I'm going to trust that wisdom. If people haven't done that, Lord, would today be the day that they do that? Would today be the day that they'd say to you, I'm not trusting myself anymore, I'm going to trust you? Would today be the day that they say to you, God, would you forgive me of my sin? I want to follow you. God, would, be, would today be that day for them? And Lord, there are many of us in here who've followed you for many years. And Lord, unfortunately, we haven't pursued great joy. We've been distracted. We've looked for wisdom elsewhere. We've looked within ourselves. And God has led us to despair. Today, would we rejoice in you no matter our circumstances? And may that be the theme of our life. That I will rejoice in the Lord no matter 
what? So Lord, thank you for that opportunity. Would you be lifted up in our worship? It's in Jesus' name. Would you stand with us and sing? And, and I want to invite you to respond however the Lord leads you. If, if you prayed today to tell the Lord that you want to follow Him for the first time, why don't you come talk to us? I'd love to rejoice with you. I'd love to tell you what's next and help you. Maybe you need to come and just kneel and seek that great joy this holiday season. Maybe you've been distracted like so many of us. And today's the first day you've realized that. Uh, whatever. Just worship the Lord how He leads you in this time.